I'm an outlier. I'm not exactly following the same path as everybody else. I'm different. I look different. There was a period of time where I was like, no, I'm more Yemenite. But really, I was like, no, no, no. I'm a Lubavitcher. I'm a Hasid of the Rebbe. That was the struggle, though. Welcome to Homesick for Lubavitch, a podcast where we explore Lubavitch identity in the year 2023. My name is Ben Siafson, and I will be your host. Let's begin. Our guest tonight is uh, Eldad Rory, who is uh, originally from Minnesota, but he will introduce himself um, in a bit. Uh, I came to meet Eldad in, here in Balakinwood in Philadelphia, and uh, over the years we've gotten to know each other and uh, discuss different kinds of things, but especially the past year or so, uh, we've discussed a lot about being in the gym, the gym bro life. Absolutely. Um, that Eldad has quite a head start over me. He's been doing this for many, many years and uh, is, at least to me, a role model of somebody who takes it very, very seriously, takes his health and fitness and strength very, very seriously, mm. but does it without compromising at all on his um, identity and his priorities, um, his Jewish priorities, his, his Hasidic priorities, very, very proud of who he is in that regard, and uh, and the gym is just, a, and the strength is just a part of mm. who he is, and yeah. so that's why I felt that this would be a great uh, conversation to have as part as part of the HFL podcast. Um, okay, so let's let's begin with that. Uh, why don't you uh, Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit where you came from and where mm. you come from and and your story and how right. you how you ended up here. Right. You know, whenever somebody asks you, "Oh, where are you from?" I'm like, "Well." Where do you begin? Do I even know where I am? That's the real, <laughs> that's the real question. Uh, but originally, I am from Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota. Some people say S. Paul, Minnesota. I grew up in a family of, thank God, 10. I'm a Lubavitcher, what they call an FFB, from, from birth. Although no one ever thinks that I am. They always usually ask me, they're like, oh, when did you become religious? Because... Uh, First of all, I don't look Ashkenazi. Um, Yemenite. Partially, you know, they say half Yemenite. I always say, which half? You know, how do you cut it? Um, and so, you know, and then growing up in the Lubavitch community, it's like, you know, it's like, wait, what do you mean? I'm not Lubavitch. I'm, I'm a Lubavitcher, just like anybody else who went through the whole system. So, yeah, so you wouldn't think that just right, right off the bat. Uh, and then, you know, I'm the second to oldest in my family. Thank God I got seven sisters and two brothers and all are amazing people, each with their own individual and difficulties and parents who are great. So, you know, it's like, where are you from? I'm from my family. You know, it doesn't really matter where the place that I'm from because I've lived in New York. I've lived in California. I lived in South Africa. I've lived in Israel. Now I live in Pennsylvania. So that's kind of a quick synopsis. But talk about growing. You grew up in Minneapolis, right? St. Paul, yeah. So uh, Minneapolis is the Litvish community. St. Paul is the Lubavitch community. Yeah, so, for all those who haven't been there, we're talking about two neighborhoods that that thirty minutes away from each other. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But but it's but but for those who do live there, that is a world of a difference. Yeah, almost yeah. offensive to confuse the two. Well, no, it's a very nice community, the Minneapolis community. It's just that it's like we got together like once a year, if right. anything, if that. So it really are two separate communities got completely. It. I yeah. like when people say, "Oh, you're from Minnesota." 
oh, you for sure know this person. I'm like, uh, they from Minneapolis? Because I don't really know that community. Right. Okay, so you are from you grew up in St. Paul. Talk a little bit about growing up in St. Paul. And um, talk about, like, what, 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 what was it like to grow up as a Lubavitcher in St. Paul? Hmm. I wouldn't know anything different. I went to Cheder. Um, you know, I grew up in the Lubavitch community. So I, this is, that was the environment that I was in all the time. I didn't really know anything else. You know, there was, the, there was being Jewish and the Goyim. You know, that's how it kind of was. Uh, I, my family, we are, of course, Lubavitchers, although we're Yemenite Lubavitchers. So, you know, I grew up, and then my mother, she also became religious. My father always was religious. But he learned in more of like, a, you know, Shiotarav Kuk in, in Israel and Yemenite. So there was an eclectic mix, I guess you can say, although I didn't really know that much of a difference until I started, of course, getting older. And I started seeing, oh, there are the Shlokum's kids and then there's the rest of us. And it's like, wait a second, why is there the rest of us? We're all Lubavitchers. I have the same education as you. Uh, I've gone to the same schools as you. Why is there a distinction? So the, the, I did grow up to some degree, I guess you can say, with a hierarchy in that sense. Um, and it bothered me, of course, growing up. We can discuss that. If you, I don't know if that's what we're, yeah, we're go here for to discuss. It. We're but, here for everything, man. Yeah, but, we're here for everything. Uh, we're not, he we're not uh, here to uh, vent and, like, you yeah, know, fetch no, about I, stuff. I, but I, but, I but we're here to hear, you know, what, what, what was it like? If that's how you felt growing up and that's part of your story. That's, well, that's I think important. part of a person's strength comes from Figuring out what you are, who you are, and then embracing it, and then growing from there, allowing it to sprout. And for instance, like we mentioned in the beginning about Lubavitch, Lubavitch being like, I mean, they had all these stories about the roads that were, you know, dirt roads and working hard and davening for hours. That's not the reality that I grew up with, right? I grew up with, if anything, thinking about Mike Saba, who made his way to Eretz Yisrael from Yemen, where he was com completely persecuted, but from age 12, he made his own way. Like, he mm -hmm. came from a family of tzaddikim. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with, like, that reality. And it's like, oh, I actually even pushed aside saying, I'm not going to learn Yiddish. I'm Yemenite. Mm -hmm. Now I kind of regret it a little bit, you know. I fake a couple of words, just like the rest of us. Um, so, but I don't have that necessarily connection to, oh, the dirt roads and... Like, how did you fit into the Chabad community there? I mean, you're already, you're, you're making a point that even growing up in Minneapolis in a Chabad community, the fact that your father um, was himself, you know, he came from a Yemenite family and your mother also became religious herself. So you didn't, you didn't feel, on one hand, you felt like you were part of the Chabad community, but on the other hand, you weren't the same as all the, let's say, Shluchim's kids or. Yeah, like yeah the, for sure. Because I look, I look different. And there was differences in the way we acted. You know, the, the, the influences that I grew up with wasn't per se, you know, I, my father would, I, you know, my father would be sitting at the table learning Navi. He wouldn't necessarily have a, you know, a mimer in front of him, even mm -hmm. though, of course, I grew up with that. And that's what I do because, you know, mm -hmm. I grew up in the Lubavitch, Lubavitch system. But it, so, was a, it was a very different feeling. And then I also grew up around secular Jews who didn't even think they were Jewish, of course they are 100% Jewish, because my mother's side of the family, she's the only one who became religious. So your, fa your, father, your father and mother, they, they, they consider themselves Chabad? Yeah, yeah. 
What? Chabad Yemenite. That's how we kind of put it. But yeah, they consider themselves Lubavitch. Right. So it was because they chose to send you and your siblings to Chabad that they consider themselves Chabad? Or it was it started with them mm -hmm. and then went to you? I think the way that it worked was is this they happened to be in a Lubavitch community. Mm -hmm. Like if we were in Israel, I probably would have grown up more of like Yemenite type mm -hmm. of Svaradik. Uh, you know, there, I always say there's a difference. Of course there's a difference. But what I'm saying is like more of like Yeshiva Tarav, you know, Yeshiva Takotel kind of thing. Like Yeshiva, Yeshiva Hezder, that kind of thing. Like I would have gone to the Israeli military, which I almost didn't when I was 18 anyway. Um, That's how your father grew up? He, yeah. He grew up in Israel, went to the army. Exactly. He didn't do Yeshiva Hezder because I don't think they had that at the time. Right. But yeah, he went to Yeshiva and then he went to the military. And then after the military, he went to Minnesota to visit my uncle who was learning psychology in the University of Minnesota. And then my uncle went back to Israel. My father stayed. You know, he met my mother there and they stayed. My mother was learning at Beis Chana at the time. Mm. Um, and so being in the Lubavitch community, they like became Lubavitch in mm -hmm. that sense because mm -hmm. they were there. My father was working for the Chabad house in the beginning. Before my father became a rabbi, he became a rabbi when, I, when he was 40 actually. But before then, you know, he was first working for the Chabad house. You know, he was the Israeli fixing things, taking care of stuff. Um, you know, now, of course, he's a, he's, he's a Rav and he does, uh, he works at the OU. So it was that, that was the reason why, but I grew up Lubavitch my whole life. You know, I don't, I don't know any, anything else. I mean, I do know Yemenite, but you know, I went through the whole system, so to speak. But that's, but that's precisely what makes this whole, that's what makes this whole um, conversation tick, at least to me, is because, like, you say you're Lubavitch, and you are Lubavitch, but then the question is, what does Lubavitch mean? Mm. Because we we have this, you know, there's a concept of Lubavitch that's like, you know, the mud roads in Lubavitch, or, or uh, the 770, and, and, and you know, sitting at Fabring and all these different images that we kind of associate with, with Lubavitch. But in your case, Lubavitch is um, Minnesota. It's a very American kind of, a very American kind of story. Your father's from Israel. Your mother is in, in Beis Chana. They meet there. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's not a different version of Lubavitch necessarily. Well, sort that, of, sort of. Yeah, like growing up, I grew around the Friedmans. I grew around the Grossbaums. I grew around Rabbi Zeilingold. I grew around, you know, all these Lubavitch names, and I was just one of the crowd. I didn't know there was a difference until I started getting older, so to speak, and I started, you know, like the worst thing I did when I was younger, I was, a, so to speak, a good boy. Right. The worst thing I did was I started trimming my beard. My cousins did it. I was like, okay, I'm doing it, and then I remember doesn't matter. Individually, came to my, my father didn't know it was bad, so to speak. I'm putting quotation marks. You know, I was learning in yeshiva. That's my phone. Yeah. I was learning in yeshiva. I was, uh, I was, I was, yeah, I was learning. I think I was just, I was 13 and I was starting to grow my beard. Yeah. And like, you know, I was wanted to look good, but I was still, you know, I was a masmid. Right. And I remember there was somebody who came and said, my father was like, you know, your son is making trouble. He was cutting his beard. It's like, ooh, that's a, such a big deal. And my father, you know, not knowing, so to speak, that he was like, oh, that's maybe not a good thing to do. And we used to get into, we had like fights, so to speak, with, in regards to that. I, no, I was 15. I wasn't 13. I was 15 when I started trimming. 
And so, but that was like the worst of it. But then at that point, that's where I started being like, wait a second, what's going on here? Why can't you be different and still good? And that, as soon as you start going off of the track, so to speak, but you're still a good Jew, I was, you know, you, you all of a sudden start becoming the bad kid. And I was never the bad kid, but it started to come out that way, you know. But the, the, the way I'm hearing it, and, you know, this isn't to go down the kind of the well-worn path of, of you know, how do we how do we deal with education, kid, boys that kind of want to do things differently and how do we discipline them and what's the best way uh, that, I, that's not what I'm that that's not what I'm thinking about now what I'm thinking about is what you really had here was you know like you, you had you had a path that for a while felt like it was your path like you're going down this path like with all your classmates growing up in the school and you're like yeah everything seems to be everything seems to feel right right and it, we're, my path each of us have a path, which mm. which is which is a which is a result of um, choices that we make, but also the past that we're that we're born into our our parents, our grandparents, our 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 family's customs, the 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 traditions and the values that our parents pass on to us. Right, mm -hmm. that that's what shapes our path. And then of course we make choices that continues to shape that path. So when you're younger and you're you're in a Chabad school, you're like, okay, I'm Chabad, I'm Lubavitch, whatever you called yourself, and you grow up with your friends, and everything seems to align, everything seems to go together. But then as you get older, and now your beard's growing, and you have a family background, like you said before, you had cousins that were trimming, like I also trim, like what's a big deal, right? Suddenly you realize that your path, the 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 past that you're carrying, the past that's shaping you, is pushing you off in a different direction than all of your classmates that you thought were so similar to you all this time. Yeah. It's not Although, so much it's not so much in other words, it's not so much a question of rebellion and not listening to the rules. It's more a question of who are you? What does it mean for you to be Chabad? What does it mean for you to be who you are? The question starts becoming more complicated. The push, right? the push, the push of Chabad wasn't from my family per se. My father, you know, if you look at him, he looks like Yemenite Lubavitcher, right? But it was never really like that aspect, that push. It was more from that was anything. It was more from myself, uh, from my background, my yeshiva background. And then my brothers probably is also more looking at me versus looking at my father in that regard. Of course, we got our Yiddishkeit, our inner Jewishness, of course, from my father. You know, he's a role model to look up to. But the Lubavitch aspect, it's not my father, right? Because he became Lubavitch coming in the Lubavitch community. It wasn't that he was like taken away by this idea of Lubavitchness, you know, whatever that means. Um, so, you know, although I always have felt that I'm a Lubavitcher and I know I'm a, a, a Lubavitcher. Somebody asked me, it's like, no, I'm a Lubavitcher. There was a period of time where I was like, no, I'm more Yemenite. But really, it's like, no, no, no. I'm a Lubavitcher. I'm a Chassid of the Rebbe. I mean, okay, I, so, so that's what I want to ask you. What yeah. does it mean for you to be a Lubavitcher? Because clearly, it's it's not. You, you, I wanted to flesh out a little bit, like mm. your, your your uncertainty of, am I a Lubavitcher or am I a Yemenite? Right. Who am I? And yeah. then why you decided to yourself, not to make anybody else happy, why you decided for yourself 
that calling yourself a Lubavitcher is, is a more accurate identity. Explain that 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 that. Hmm. So it it was a struggle for many many years, meaning, I am a Lubavitcher, but I'm also a Yemenite. So being so. Growing up, of course, like we were saying, hearing the stories of these individuals who are from Russia and their, the struggles that they went through, I never fully connected with that. I connected with more of the Middle Eastern side, so to speak, from the way I look and from my own family background. So the, how do I reconcile those two dichotomies? So being a Lubavitcher for me at the time, it was I'm connected to the Rebbe. The Rebbe is my shepherd, you know. He is the one who I follow, even though I'm not following, so to speak. Like, for instance, I was trimming my beard. How can I be a chassid of the Rebbe and trim my beard? I still struggle with that. I still trim my beard. It's long, but I still fix it up a little bit, right? So somebody would look at me, they'd be like, you're a Lubavitcher. I'm like, yeah, I'm a Lubavitcher. It's like, you know, the famous story from the Ger Rebbe. I think it's pretty sure it's the Ger Rebbe where they, uh, he's the Ger Rebbe speaking to some some Jew, clean shaven, and uh, after he's done, the chassid goes to get up and says, "Who is this guy sitting next to you? You know, how could he be sitting next to you? You know, he's clean shaven." And he says that uh, you know the story, but he says, he says when he goes to Shemaim, they're going to ask him, "Rabid, where's your beard?" When you go to Shemaim, they're going to say, "Beard, where's your yid?" <laughs> So I remember hearing these kind of stories, and these are the things that I connected with. Be like, okay, I'm an outlier. I'm not exactly following the same path as everybody else. I am not the son of a shliach, so to speak, although we all are shluchim. We all went on Friday to put tefillin on people and give out candles, you know, and I am a soldier of the Rebbe. Okay, so I'm not following the path. And then... That was the struggle, though, at the same time. But, but, like, I'm not. I'm different. I look different. I don't have a similar family background. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Deitch or, uh, or, you know, or a Greenbaum or whatever you want to call it. You know, I'm... Greenbaums aren't Gej, just like... Greenbaums are not Gej. Okay, all right, we're good. That's right. I don't know. Just... <laughs> they came in afterwards. Oh, apologies to any Greenbaums. <laughs> I'm not an often. We're also not good. I mean, only, only from the grandmother's side, but the name often is not a good name at all. Yeah, all right. My gra grandfather was the first Chabad guy in his family. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. It's a grandfather. All right. Yeah. So I got one generation on you. Got one. All right. Good. There we go. So yeah, so I guess that was that but, was. But I want I want you to I want you to expand on a line you said earlier, which is very very interesting to me, um, especially that we're talking about the Sunny Dolphinus and um, you that even if you're not following, you're still a follower. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, well, a a real soldier. I shouldn't say a real soldier. Generally, when you think about a soldier, is they listen to the dictates of their commander. The commander says, jump, you jump. The commander says, swim, you swim. Although there are some elite forces where the elite forces, they actually pose questions. I don't know if I want to swim. This may not be the proper time to swim. Okay, you're the commander, you say swim. I'm not saying you're wrong, chas but I have to think of my own, and this is what makes them I'm not saying I'm an elite soldier. That's not what I'm saying at all, even though that's what's coming off. 
but there is an element of that. So I don't necessarily see it as. In other words, you're saying that you're like you're like an IDF soldier, where you, the whole idea of IDF is don't like follow <laughs> orders, but also question orders, kind of thing. Like your allegiance is that I, what you're saying? Sort of. I, I'm. I recognize that a yid shouldn't be cutting their beard, just like the Semach Tzedek says, Midorai, so you're not supposed to cut your beard. We'll give the beard as an example because that's something that I struggled with, just like I struggled with for a while about tzitzis. Even though now, of course, I always wear tzitzis and I wear tzitzis in the gym, there was a period where I didn't wear tzitzis in the gym. There was a period, and mm -hmm. and I struggled with it. Even when I wasn't doing it, I felt guilty not doing it. Mm -hmm. now, I always wore a head covering or a yarmulke, but tzitzis was always a struggle for me. Until I finally been like, how could I be a chassid, that's really what it was, and not wear tzitzis? How am I supposed to represent to the world strength and spirituality if I'm not doing it myself? And that's even, really... even, even though there's there's plenty of reasons, like you said, you could make a very easy head or not to wear tzitzis. One hundred percent. I'm sweating. Have, I'm sweating. At... Sweating. You don't have dal the confes. There's so many, you don't have four corners. Why do I need to wear it? You only need to. I can show you the place in Shulchan Aruch where it exactly says that only you have to have wearing four corners. Well, Absolutely. That, that's in general that we don't have to wear this. We yes. look for reasons to wear scissors, but you, but I'm saying in the gym, you could say like it's similar like going to the pool with scissors, like you're sweating. Sure. It's Absolutely. You you plenty of, you're, I, I don't even know if that's valid. Probably or not, it's but, not. But, but it's but, certainly something that you could have told yourself. Absolutely. And there was a period where I, I wasn't telling myself that. I just wasn't doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, until I decided, like, no, you have to represent. This is what you're doing. You know, if you're if you're going to have strength, bigashmius, I use it as like a as like a springboard. If I have my physical strength, then I have my spiritual strength. To me, it's not enough just to have spiritual strength, and to me, it 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 manifests itself on more of the external. And I have found through interactions with individuals, how people see me is, you know, everyone is a, so to speak, a shliach in their own sense and in their own, in their own sviva, you know, their own community, so to speak, whatever that community is. And there are certain places that each individual can reach in the proper way. And I feel like if I'm going to be doing this, which I am going to be doing this, meaning I'm going to be working out, it's not like I'm not going to work out. To me, it's a it's a part of what I am. If I don't work out for a few days, I start feeling like not myself. You know, to me, it's like a it's a meditation. It's a place where I can release by lifting extremely heavy. Mm -hmm. It's a zoning out aspect to some degree. But so if I'm going to be doing that. I'm also going to be representing the element of Jewish people can be this as well. So I want to get back to to the gym. That's obviously yeah. one of the main reasons we came to speak tonight. But um, I want you to finish the thoughts. You 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 said you said with the beard you were struggling with the beard. Of on one hand you were yes you you realize that you know the Rebbe and the Rebbeim would have been against cutting the beard. So you didn't finish that. Then you I'll finish that thought. This. Yeah. So that, that so, thought. So in other words, I want you to, to explain and flesh out a little bit the line that you said earlier of being a follower, even if you're not following. Yeah. So I'll answer that with a story, mm -hmm. so to speak. A quick story. Mm -hmm. I get, I get. Go some. ahead. 
basically somebody once came to a Rav and said to this traveling Rav, let's go to village to village, and said he had a problem with a certain Taisvis, right? A certain part of the Gemara. And instead of answering him the problem in the Gemara, he gave him 10 other sources of Taisvisim in order to look up. And he said, learn them, and then next time I come through, I'll answer them, or I'll, we'll, we'll talk. So when he came back through, he came back and he said, I learned those 10 other types of sim, but didn't answer my question. I'm left with more questions. So he answered him and he said that that's the point. Even though you're left with a question, the Gemara still goes on. So I recognize that there are many times as a soldier, you don't necessarily, so there are sometimes things that you can't do right this instance. And so instead of not carrying on, you acknowledge it. You say, you recognize what the truth is. So I'll say this clearly, and I've always said this. I never make excuses about, you know, as a Lubavitcher, how can I be trimming my beard? As the years go by, my family makes jokes. They look at like all the wedding pictures and my beard has gotten longer and longer and longer, even though it's fixed up, but it's gotten longer with the years. You know, it used to be much shorter, very, it was very short. And now it's, you know, it's, if you you can't see me on video, but on, on, on the podcast, but it's long, but it's still fixed up. And so I never made excuses and said, halachically, you're allowed to do it. You know, you, either, I have a whole safer of, of how you're able to cut your beard. You know, you see many Talmudic they shave their beards completely. As a Lubavitcher, we don't do that. So I've never said that it was okay, but I recognize it. I acknowledge it. And I recognize that it's a struggle. And not every struggle are you going to win today. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Just like in the gym. Not every day are you going to have your best lift. You're going to have terrible lifts most of the time. So let's get to the, let's, let's get to the gym, but let's not do it sideways. Let's get we'll to it. We'll do it sideways. Okay. So like how. So that, I hope that answers yeah, a little no, bit. I, I, th I thought that was great. I mean, th that's, that's how you're thinking. So I'm a, I'm a soldier. I, when I write to the Rebbe in Pan, I write to the Rebbe that I'm your chassid. Even though I recognize that I don't necessarily all the time look exactly what somebody would think a chassid would look like. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. Uh, okay, so let, let's go. Let's get to the gym. Um, you know, I, I got I've I've gotten to know you a bit better about the gym over the cup over the past year or so. Um, but why don't you talk a little bit about how like how you got into the gym, when you got into the gym, mm -hmm. and um, I also think it's important to point out that, like you know, uh, today the gym life or the you know the gym culture has become something that's a lot more widespread and mainstream, and a lot more people are into it. A lot more people know about it. A lot more people, a lot more people from all kinds of persuasions are more comfortable to be there. But you were into this well before it became that super popular. Oh yeah. All right, so so why don't you talk a little bit about like mm. how you got into it and what it was like at the time, you know, coming back to our general conversation, what what, what was it feeling like being a Chabad kid in the gym? Mm. What was what was that like? It's interesting. There are many different beginnings to it. One beginning was ever since I was younger, my father would always be teaching me, and I'm putting quotation marks, Krav Maga, you know? He he would teach me, you know self-defense moves when I was younger. And I remember when I went, so, 
you know, at that point, I was like, oh, my father, he knows how to fight. And, you know, I know how to fight. And I'm being to, I'm going to be like him. My father, I remember in the mikvah, <laughs> he used to, in today's society, it would be, be like, oh, what is this? But I remember in the mikvah, he used to be like, you know, my father always was fit. And I remember one time somebody's like, eh, what's that? And he would lift his arm, but he had like a, he's like, that's a tennis ball stuck in there. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he had a big muscle, you know. My father jokes now and he says, I had a tennis ball, you have a melon, <laughs> you know. But uh, so I grew up with like that sense. You know, they, my father he did, should be strong. Yeah, he should be strong. My father was, oh, he was into Krav Maga, you know, martial art. And I wouldn't say he worked out growing up, I didn't say that, but he was always fit. And like I said, we, you know, my father growing up, he used to be the one also to clean the mikvah. And uh, I would go with him. And so we would go and go sometimes into like the ladies' mikvah and we would clean. He would make sure the ladies' mikvah is taken care of, make sure that it's clean. You know, we'd also, take, of course, take a dip. And I remember he would always be like, okay, being like fit. And I would always like look at him and I'd be like, wow, that's, that's a man. Yeah. So that's one aspect, that influence. Like I have that image, even though my father now, he's 67, he's not fit like that now. But that's how I always see my father. So you grew up with an image of strong masculinity. Sure, absolutely. My father was a very strong masculine figure, of course, in a very Adela way, actually. It's interesting. People think Yemenites are Svaradim. They're not. Yemenites are a lot more Adel. That You can use that term. You just attacked the whole Svaradi yeah, community. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Strength is good for in all aspects. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so that was one aspect. Then, when I went to Israel when I was nine years old, I went to Israel when I was nine, and I, you know, I remember clearly, I was a very picky eater, and so I remember eating all the time lebens and pita with. I didn't like falafel, so I would eat pita and French fries. They'd stick the French fries into the pita, and I remember I came back overweight. Like I remember clearly, and I was like that for a few years. And I remember growing up hearing, uh, you're okay? Yeah. I remember growing up hearing, you know, you're, you're, you're husky, you're big, or people would say you're big. And my mother would be like, no, he's husky. I would have to shop in like the husky section. But also my father is not a big man. And like, even from a young age, I was already almost his size. You know, you might, it's, it's, I've, I have, uh, I'm, you know, I've got my Russian genes. You know, a little more, a little bigger, even though, you know, I'm 5'9". I'm not, like, huge. Um, so I remember when I was 12, my father put in the backyard, he put two ropes up. One rope had knots in it, and the other rope had no knots. And they went 25 feet in the air. We had some beautiful trees in our backyard. And I remember my sister, Mirav, she's a shlucha now in San Diego, I remember. And then he also put up a pull-up bar outside, like, on the, on the um, jungle gym. And I remember Mirav was, as soon as he hung it up, he put a tire on the one with the, with the knots in the rope to 25 feet in the air. And there was one that he put like a swing uh, with no knots. And she was able to climb up with her feet up the rope with knots. And she was able to do like two, three pull-ups. I couldn't do one pull-up and I couldn't go up. I couldn't climb up the one with knots at all. I remember how like embarrassed I was because I'm like, I'm the man, you know, I'm the man. I was 12, for God's sake. And I remember then and there, I remember the day I decided 
That's it. I'm going on a diet <laughs> at 12. And, you know, my mother's an amazing baker. And I remember clearly that week she made like these cookies in like a, a bear shape or something. And I remember not eating the cookies because I was on a diet. And however long that went, I started dieting and I started working out. I started doing pull-ups every day or trying to do pull-ups. And I remember I looked at that rope and I'm like, I'm going to climb up you. And I remember used to, every night, I would go outside and try to climb the rope, just to grip and to hold it. And after, I don't know how long it was exactly. It, was, it must have been a, a year. I was able to do 10 pull-ups, give or take. And I could climb up the rope without knots and without my feet. Yeah, it was like I was able to like climb up and just hold my feet in the air. Like I remember I used to, I was, so that's kind of like where it began. So it must have been before 13 because I was still in theater. Because I remember in between classes, in between, you know, when, when, when the teacher went out of the classroom, I remember I used to say to my, I, I told myself, uh, yeah, I was 12. I told myself every day you have to do 300 push-ups. And I think I did it every day. I'm like, you have to do, I don't know. I don't think I set at that time. I think when I was 15, I said, I have to do 100 pull-ups a day. But at that time from 12, I'm like, every day you have to do 300 push-ups. So I remember every morning when I would shower, I do like 30 push-ups. And then in between classes, when the teacher left the room, I would do like 20 push-ups. And I, I counted and I did this. I'm not joking. At age 12, I did this every single day until it became like a habit. Every day I would do 300 push-ups, 100 pull-ups, and uh, dips. I did a lot of dips. And then as I... What do your classmates think about all this? Because I, I love to... the tension here of like the kid of the Taimani, you know... Well, you have to understand the class Sahara is very officer. small. Yeah, but still, you're this. You're you're in Minneapolis, forgot, uh, sorry, St. Paul, in Minnesota. For, like that, That's America, Amer Midwest America, son of a Taimani immigrant. You know, so you have Israeli, like, yeah, Israeli Taimani, you know, Tzahal officer, mm. you know, doing pull ups. You can get up your dad's, you know, um, uh, rope. basically rope from his, uh, what is it called? The course that you have when you first joined the army. Oh, the uh, training course? The training course. Yeah. Like he has this, he has this training obstacle course in your backyard. Yeah. And like your classmates, you know, from St. Paul, Minnesota, like what, like what's going on? Like, I think they thought, saw it as normal for, at yeah. least I didn't care. You didn't care. I, okay, I, I didn't care. I remember, I'm too, like, to, too young to think I, about I did, that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't care. I, I remember some of them used to look at me, but I don't think they looked at me any like odd. Like I have very few classmates. I remember probably Shmuley Bendit would probably just like, look, I, I have no idea what he thought. I never cared what he thought. I don't think he thought it was weird. You know, I was friends with him. He probably thought it was like, oh, that's what Elda's doing. That's what, oh, the teacher's out. Elda's going to do pushups now. Right. Like I I actually right. had a quota. So so yeah, that was And the discipline, that kind of discipline you've you had in general, like when it came to studies and life in general, you even, were a disciplined yes. kid. I was very disciplined. Even from even with studying, I was I always wanted to study. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I mean, you so it wasn't like discipline only for this. You were a disciplined kid and when you decided to do this, you were disciplined about this too. I, I guess I guess that would be accurate to say. Yeah. I mean, the discipline is still is still a part of my life. I mean, I know Eddie Landau. He's a uh, very, very close friend of mine. He's right now like the uh, CEO of the OK. I did smicha with him in Israel, in Kfar Chabad. And he tells me the story, which it didn't mean much to me. I remember he said that my mother used to send me like baked goods sometimes from, from America. 
And I remember one time she said, I don't know if she said all the time, but he said that you used to take out of your closet two cookies every morning. You had the whole bag of cookies. You didn't take more than two. You always took two cookies to have with your coffee when we learned Chassidus. And I'm like, really? I mean, that does sound like me. I still do the same thing. It's like you take two. You wouldn't take more. You wouldn't take less. So I guess discipline is definitely a very big part of what I am. So I can't take credit for that, so to speak. Uh, so so we're not going to go through the whole step by step of of your of your uh, time in the gym, which is already a few decades at yeah. this point. Yeah. But I do want to ask, in line with the conversation we're having, you know, as so you know, there's something very innocent and, and simple about you know, this kid at home and in his classroom just doing these kind of, you know, what what a boy might do, I guess. You know, maybe it was a little bit eccentric, the the, the extent of the of the discipline that you had. Mm. But, you know, but boys do all kinds of stuff at that age. Like, it's no big deal. But what happens when you grow up and you start going out into the world and things are getting a little more complicated and going to the gym is now at odds with either being in yeshiva or going to the gym is, I mean, Chabad people go to the gym and like, that's not a place where you belong as a Chabad guy. Like, mm. you don't belong there. Talk a little bit about what it was like, like skip to that step where yeah. going to the gym is more a... So, a, growing, so growing up, I went to Minnesota yeshiva for a few bunch of years with Rabbi Willam. And because I would sleep at home, there was no difficulty with that i would work out of the jcc at night so there was no issue there and then when my first away yeshiva i went to south africa and you wouldn't call that the most chassidisha place so they actually had a small little gym uh -huh. in in the yeshiva like in like some basement like now if i probably go back and i look at it i'd probably think it's like like really that's that's so I would work out there. So there was no, there was nothing at odd in that regard. And then the yeshiva after South Africa, I guess you can say the yeshiva that made me to what I am today. Which I should reach out to them and start giving them some donations actually, because they really made me to what I am. It was yeshiva in Israel, uh, Shiva Tabucharm. It's time to me. The Rebbe said, don't change the name, even though there was one Bukhari. Uh, I did Smicha and Safras in the yeshiva there. And they actually had a cheder kosher, right? They had a a uh, workout room where after we would be, after we would, you know, finish Chassidus at night, it's 9.30, we just finished Avon Marv, uh, everyone would go do their own thing, right? And in this cheder kosher, there was a judo mat that actually I used to, wrestle with some some guys over there. Uh, I would do jujitsu. They would do judo. There was a weightlifting room in there, and there was also like a ping pong table, which most most of the guys would be playing, you know, tennis, you know, table tennis. I never did that because I was always the guy working out in the weights, and I was known as that, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that's already part of my identity, 19, 20, 21. That was already part of who I am. So... There was never at odds with that in that regard. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think I'd be able to handle... Like, I used to, in, in yeshiva at night, if I was not there, I would be practicing martial arts outside myself. I'd be practicing my katas, I guess you can say. I used to do karate. Mm -hmm. So there was never an at odds with that in, in regard to 
the yeshivas I went to. Even though there were some yeshivas, like in Israel, how could you have, we had a basketball court in, in, outside, and a lot of the yeshivas in Israel was even stricter than like in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. How could you have a basketball court? This campus happened to have a bath. This campus happened to have a basketball court, so that was never an issue. So you could possibly say, because I grew up with that, this is not bad, which it isn't bad, right? Anyone who says it's bad, it's just a, the, the, it's it's not. They're reflecting on a time. I I think it causes more damage to say something that is actually very healthy and good for you is bad because then. If you do it, that makes you bad. So let's talk a little bit about like what what does the gym, what does the gym mean to you? What what does it what what does going to the gym mean to you? Um, every day, sometimes majority of the time, it's a a struggle to be like ah great, but I still want to do it. No, but you said that that at, at, by the time you're nineteen twenty, that's part of who you are. Like, mm. what, what do you mean by that? Like, what's part of who you are? Like. I mean, the gym on one hand, like, you know, people have so much, people have so much, um, it means, it means so much to people in their life. Like it's like a big part of who they are. But then when you go into the room, it's a bunch of, bunch of metal. Like it's like, it's like on one hand, it's the most exciting place in the world. On the other hand, it's the most boring place in the world. Like, so right. it's basically what you make out of it is what I'm saying. The gym to me is a place where you look at something that is seems impossible and with time that impossible turns to possible and then you can look at more and that be be like okay i'm ready to take on that next one you know people come to me and they say all the time you know i mean this is again a podcast you can't see what i'm lifting you go on my instagram you can see i'll tell everybody in a second okay. <laughs> or i'll ask you in a but, second People are like, wow, you can do that. You know, I can lift heavy weight and I can jump very high and I can do certain things that most of the percentage of the world doesn't do. For sure in the Jewish world. And people come to me in the gym and they're like, you know, Jews and non-Jews alike. It's not like most of the most time it's non-Jews. How can you do that? And I'm like, you can do that too. It's just, and I like, for instance, I'll give you an example. There's a movement that I do. It's called the Zercher. It's called the full, full zercher. It's a, it's a combination between a squat and a deadlift, and you're cradling it between your arms. All right. I think I've seen a video of you doing yeah. that. Great movement, great for mobility. It's a, it's it's an overall strong man movement. It's kind of like uh, lifting an atlas stone. It's a similar movement of lifting an atlas stone just with a bar. And people are like, "Wow, I can never do that." And as soon as I hear somebody say that. As soon as I hear somebody say, I can't do that, automatically something snaps at me. I'm like, I say, like, no, of course you can do that if you wanted to do that. Because if I can do it, I'm not anything more biologic. Like I'm strong and I've built myself up. But if you want to do it, you can do it. And I, that's, the, that's a philosophy that I take with me. And I think the gym enables you to an individual to harness that and of course there are certain things that you can't do like i'll never be a michael jordan okay no matter how hard and how much i practice i'll never be a hapthor bjornsson you know you know hapthor Bjorn. you know if people don't know hapthor bjornsson has won one world's strongest men many times it's like saying uh 
It's like saying, you know, he's he was the mountain in uh, Game of Thrones. I see, like six foot. He's six nine. foot nine, ne- four hundred and something pounds. You're never gonna be six foot nine. I'm never gonna be that, no matter how hard I try. But right. that's not what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be the five foot nine guy who could deadlift almost six hundred pounds. Right. This year it's gonna be Tiashnas Freakish Gains. It's gonna be I'm at five hundred and five hundred and eighty. Amen. Amen, brother. Five pounds off. So I'm five pounds off from six from from not six hundred pounds, six plates. Oh. I probably actually can do it now. I, I haven't tested six plates. I haven't tested out my uh, right. my full full uh, my PR yet. My recent PR. I can do five fifteen for four times. So you can do five eighty. You can't do five eighty five. Sometimes that those five really? extra pounds. Oh yeah, when you're reaching your max, when you're reaching like your oh. max lift, everything has to. I be I mean, alive. I know I feel that. I, I felt that, but I'm lifting much slower right now. Like you're right now lifting three fifteen. I think for deadlift. What did you get? Not my max on on deadlift is three thirty. Three thirty, okay. And do you remember when it was two eighty five? I remember when it was two two thirty five. Two thirty five, right? And and yeah. and what happened when you crossed this? What was the threshold? Because there are thresholds that we that we cross. I don't remember. But there was there was a threshold, right? Yeah, there was a time where where suddenly like lifting two plates is not is not a big deal anymore. Right. Exactly. And God willing, soon three plates. No, no, will no not I, be. I know, I understand. I'm just saying, for me, I understand why five pounds makes a difference. Yeah, but I didn't realize that, like at that level, at that, because five pounds becomes as a percentage becomes less and less with with with. It does, but when you're two hundred pounds, five nine, you know, I'm not. Uh, only, I'm not. I'm not pushing the limits. I'm pushing my limits, especially because now I've I've been I've been training a lot with jujitsu. Because I train a lot with jujitsu, it's taking away from my heavy lifting. Which so that that that's why I'm like if I was if I was completely focused on just lifting heavy strongman lifting, I for sure would be able to get in before period of time. But it's you know I do other things and you know that's 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 okay. So you said you said a really really beautiful line, which is that the gym is a place where you look at the impossible and you make it possible, which is something that resonates very very much with me. Yes. Um, you know, if if I was to add to it, it would be that what you're saying is that the gym is essentially a great metaphor for life. It's a it's almost a place where you visualize. Where, you know, we all we all have our battles in life, whether it's uh, you know, all, on all levels. You know, mental, spiritual, financial, personal, mm-hmm. private, public. We all have our battles that we're fighting, and the gym is almost like a place where you get to visualize it and crystallize it in this one That's moment and exactly this one movement. It's exactly it. And, people, people... And, like, and like, okay, I'm just, I, I just have to be able to do this, which I can't do right now. I have to figure out a way how to get there. And that's going to help kind of unlock. It's a key that's going to unlock something in my mind that tells me the same way I could do that here with this piece of metal, I could do it in life as well. 100%. People ask me, like, what are you training for? That's usually the question I get because the way I train is I'm training. It seems like I'm training for something, which I'm not. Um, I'm well. I say I'm training that if I can make it in here, this is what I always say. If I can make it in here, I can make it out there, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. This is like this. If you can lift that extra piece a little, two point five pounds, and I'm gonna add it, you know, the, onto my bench that extra ten pounds on each side, which is a lot for bench, by the way. If you're adding extra twenty pounds, uh, 
then no, tell me about it when uh, i exactly <laughs> exactly then as soon as i walk outside i can have that relationship with that person in my life that's difficult i can conquer that 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 goal with studying that i need to study i can get that sale you know even though i don't do sales but i can imagine that being something so how does that how does that fit into your identity of your overall identity or more particularly your Chabad identity, especially that, um, okay, so you said that in Yeshiva it was not so at odds, but I don't think until very recently and even till today, I don't think people expect, and you touched on this earlier with the tzitzis, I don't think people expect the two to go together, being a Chabadnik and being a, a gym rat or being some power lifter. Mm. You know, for all those listening, Eldad, Eldad's a power lifter by every, yeah, <laughs> by every definition of that word. Or what, what do you 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 bench? My bench is fairly weak. My bench okay. is. I started my off with the weakest. We'll, we'll my bench the is weak. My bench is at, at, at today. I did three thirty-five. Okay, okay, it's, fine. Very, it's, very, it's very, very weak, weak folks. Very, very weak folks. Um, um, what is that like? The top four percent of people. <laughs> The guys who I lift with, the bench should be at a four hundred five right now. Okay, is but squat. my my squad is at five twenty. And your deadlift, you said, is at five five eighty. Okay, okay. So you're you're a power lifter. You're a power lifter that could compete with 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 very very uh, high level athletes in that field. I don't know how many people would 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 think of the word powerlifter to follow chabad like chabad powerlifter. Those aren't mm. two words that would go together. So. Like, how do you see the two going together? Are they two separate parts of who you are? Like, I'm Chabadnik, as you described earlier, and that's one part of who I am, and then there's me in the gym being a powerlifter as a separate part of who I am? Or do they work together? They... I I guess you can say the idea of Bigashrius and Baruchrius really resonates with me. The idea, like, I remember the story of Reish Lakish. Remember, you remember when I learned the story of Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yechanan? Where it says that Rish Lakish, when he would when he when he was once a head of the bandits or whatever you want to call it, he saw this beautiful woman swimming in the uh, lake, river, whatever it was, and it says it was one leap he was able to jump into the water. And uh, he noticed it was a man, and then after he noticed it was a man, Rishlakish basically said to him that if you do tshuva. If you think I'm something, you can marry my sister. And if you think I'm beautiful, you should see how beautiful she is, essentially. I'm paraphrasing the Gemara, of course. And then it says that after he accepted immediately upon himself that he's going to, you know, be a Balchuva. And it says he wasn't able to leap right out, right? His, his, his strength got weakened because he went into Yiddishkeit, so to speak. And so whenever I learned that Gemara, I remember learning that Gemara, and I was like, nah, nah. This, this, no, this, this is not right. This is something. So this is a, the explanation. Something's off with my understanding. This is how it's always translated. It doesn't really mean this. So I have, don't have a great answer for that. I think the Gemara says even more explicitly somewhere that like mm -hmm. Torah like weakens a person's. Right. Is it Tashas Kirch or something? Mateshas Kirch. Mateshas Kirch. Yeah. Yeah. Makrish Kirch. Mateshas. Mateshas Kirch. Yeah. Makes yeah. your makes your body. Yeah. Weak. And, and one one. One could also just go to any issue and, and see it and for themselves. See it and so you could possibly say that I always would be like, no, you can be 
you know, if you look at the stories in Navi, you look at Yeshua, you look at the battles that, I mean, these were warriors. Jewish people were warriors. They weren't, they weren't weaklings who sat down eating cholent on every Thursday night. And, 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 you know, if you look at pictures and people be like, oh, that's not what a Jew is. No, a Yid is supposed to be somebody who is extremely strong and the nations don't want to mess with you. And you serve Hashem internally and you're kind to others. I, and, and I guess you can say I very much try to manifest that concept and that idea that they don't have to be at odds with each other, just like, you know, Reish Lakish not being able to be strong. Maybe in those times, I'm not, you know, and I still think Reish Lakish probably was extremely strong. I mean, we know, we, we, we know that it says that when the, I forget who the, the Tanaim were, but they were so big, but that's also they're saying they're fat, but they're also extremely strong. So I, I, if anything, you can say I'm trying to manifest that idea that bigashmius and Beruchnius. If I can be strong, bigashmius, then Beruchnius, I can be strong. And as soon as I start becoming physically weak, I also feel like, I don't know if this is not my, this is not my identity. Mm. You know, the identity is very much tied with strength. People, you know, I remember somebody once asked me, it's been like, well, mm. what if you're, what if you're not, what if God forbid something were to happen? I'd be like, I think part of me would feel like is missing. God forbid. I hope that never, that never happens. Uh, you know, it's, it's like part of what we are, are our, what we are externally. And what we are externally is a lot of times also showing what's internally, just like a hair, right? What's the reason why we grow out our hair? It's because, or our beards, it's that which is internal comes out and shows externally. I mean, what you're saying, in other words, is that, um, I th the way I understand it is that you take you take the you take your body and you take the physical part of who you are very very seriously. That's a very real part of who you are, and therefore, um, you cannot have a a spiritual side of you that's in the abstract that is totally disconnected from that. We're like, oh yeah, I, I I could you know I could be this weak person and and be my spiritual self. No, like my spiritual self is intertwined with my physical self, which is which is strong and 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 working on its strength, and that that feeds back into my spiritual self, which is also about strength and overcoming and discipline. Yes, and 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 there has to be both. Like it, it cannot be this abstract. I cannot separate the two. Is what you're saying. I cannot separate. Yes, the physical. Like, oh, that's, you know, either I have it or I don't have it. And then I have the spiritual, which is not dependent at all on where, where I am physically. Like, no, the two, I'm a soul and a body. The two, yes. have, the two work in tandem. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's when, it's when they both are feeling filled, that's when you're a whole individual. Now, that's to also, that's not to, that's not to belittle the fact that when you are very physically taken care of in shape it with that comes a lot of other challenges especially in the gym you know with women in the gym that's not like that's not a challenge that if anything that that, that adds part to the challenge um so i'm not trying to belittle that like when somebody takes care of themselves and they look good that comes with a whole slew of other problems you feel like that's the biggest challenge that 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 arises from the gym i mean i i like that to me is like the low-hanging fruit like okay you can't go to the gym because there are women there okay i i i understand that frankly i understand why people would be uncomfortable or would say that it's wrong to go because of that 
But I mean, in terms of like where the gym could lead, I mean, don't you feel like I think the, women are everywhere. So exactly, if you if you exactly. if you if you want to have a problem with women being in the gym, you have a problem with women being in the grocery store. You yeah. have women being 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 outside. If anything in the gym, if anything in the gym, like the 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 what's the word the 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 quorum of the gym, hence the, the the rules of the gym would dictate that you have to that like you have to tr- tr- treat them with respect. It, there is almost like, you, there's almost you get like more in trouble in other places where things are less less formal and less less public. The gym's very very public place. Standing in the if most gym people know if you're a gym person, if you're going to be sitting there watching somebody work out, no matter whether if they're clad or if they're clothed in a certain way, and if you're there sitting watching, you're going to be considered a creep. Right. So absolutely, if anything, you learn on how to not leer how not to focus. You learn how to kind of stay focused within your space with being friendly and nice. That's interesting. Most gym environments, most gym environments, everyone is friendly. Right. That's very, very interesting. There so are, of course, always... There's always a bad apple. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I've always ascribed that to the fact that everybody there essentially kind of knows what you were saying earlier, which is I, I had a limit that I thought was a hard limit, which I overcame, which I which I failed at for many many for 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 a long time, many many attempts I failed, and I finally overcame it, and nothing came easy, and the guy next to me is going through the same thing, mm-hmm. and like there's no there's no finish line here, there's no there's That's no right. there's no there's no haves and have nots because whoever has wants more. That's right. Uh, yeah, so it seems to me that that's probably what's going on there. But but I but going back to your earlier point, that like the 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 pitfalls of going to the gym to me would be less about you know the let's say the immodesty around you, which at this point I feel is, I don't feel like it's worse in the gym than it is everywhere else. There's like, immodesty everywhere. Yeah, the people the the like I mean, look, I haven't. Maybe I'm convincing myself stuff, but I I haven't seen people dress in the gym any worse than they're dressed in the supermarket. <laughs> to be it's honest with you, it's the same thing. I I understand that if you get too involved with other people and you get too comfortable and you you lose your internal boundaries and you use the gym as an excuse to kind of blur your own boundaries, then it could lead to problems. But, but you could do that anywhere. Exactly. No, but if you use the gym as like a, as an excuse, right? So it's all about keeping boundaries. I feel like the bigger pitfall is, at least from like a religious perspective, is like taking your body too seriously and kind of getting too overly involved. You know, there's like, where's the line of that healthy respect for the body and that healthy consideration for the body right. and the becoming, you know, the bodybuilder, you know, that, you know, you don't, you don't want to be that, that, that guy who's... Well, this goes back to like the times of the Greeks, right? The, right. It was like exactly. kind of like the Greeks versus the the Jews. Right. That the Greeks they focus on, of course, the physical aspect. Right. But I would, I would, I would argue, and say, that they were focusing on the body just as the body versus the body intertwined with the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not like I am like being spiritual in the gym. I'm I'm not that kind of individual at all. But they are two aspects of ourselves. We have you don't Nishama. have a you don't have a beer for deadlift off your kavana. Or no, exactly. I don't have a certain a certain type of kavana right before I lift, and I focus on a certain aleph right before I lift. Actually, one of my close friends, he uh, 
one of my close friends actually listens to Yossi Jacobson, the whole, his whole workout. And he, he works out for like two hours. Uh, it was Mark. <laughs> Mark. Uh, okay. He wakes up for two hours. And that, that's why I can't deadlift it, it, more the, than the 220. Name the name that's, why, that's why I can't deadlift more than 225. <laughs> <laughs> His name doesn't do him justice. He's a big Tom of the guy. I got it. And, and, uh, but he, he says that he, his take, if you were to ask him, which we've had multiple covers, his take is, is that he can't find an excuse for working out other than if he's listening to a sheer and thus he can, thus he can say why he can work out for two hours because he's listening to Shir, which he really is because I hear the whole sheer on Friday night. All right. Or I know he does. Yeah. yeah. So everyone does have, you could to some degree say that everyone has their, their limit. But so you're saying earlier, you're not, you're not, you're not arguing that lifting is a spiritual thing for you. That's not what you're arguing. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm getting this amazing spiritual aspect to it. I'm saying as an individual who is made up of a goof and a neshama, I have to feed the goof as well. And so Hillel did a favor to his body by eating. I do a favor to my body by working out. Mm-hmm. Hillel wouldn't be able to learn if he didn't eat. I can't learn if I can't work out. Mm-hmm. Does that put me on a much lower level? Most probably. And you know what? That's okay. <laughs> you're, you're not Hill. You're I'm not Hill Lazakid. But th- that's that's what I'm referring to in that aspect. I mean, and then and then even uh, and then taking it one step further. The one step further is then when people see me, they're like, "Oh, that's what a religious Jew looks like." No, no, no. Religious Jews are supposed to be overweight and don't take care of themselves, and they got a straggly beard. That they never try to make themselves presentable. Like it's like, like, no, you have a very nice beard. People take care of their beards. You. you can, there's, you know, you but don't. But it's scraggly for everybody who can't see. Go ahead. I'm saying, my brother-in-law doesn't touch his beard, and he puts stuff in it. He makes it make sure it looks good, presentable. There are ways. People, for some reason, have an association as a religious Orthodox Jew. Forget about being a Lubavitcher. An Orthodox Jew is somebody who's overweight, doesn't take care of himself, and they wear white pants, uh, <laughs> white shirt, and black pants. And it's like... I think a lot of Orthodox Jews think of themselves that way also. I don't think it's only from the outside. I think from the inside. I, I know I felt that yes. way my whole and life until two years ago was that like there are all these, let's say for lack of a better word, goyim in the gym working out. And then there's us who some of us are born muscular or just yes. genetically better off in terms of you know physique or or strength you know like there was always a, the one family i remember growing up like uh the zirkin family yeah because they're known because it, it, in 770 by the rebbe there was the zirkin family yeah. they were the ones that would walk in front of the rebbe during tishrei to yeah. make the line clear the path because so the big path and because they were so sh- apparently they were strong just big but they were like strong like yes. ox yes and it's like they're the they're allowed to be strong because they're born that way. Me, I was born very weak. Like, I never did hagba growing up because I like I didn't feel strong enough to do hagba. Like, I was a I was a weak kid. And I would even state I would even go a step further. And some people would be like, "Wait a second, if I want to look good, I don't know if I can be religious looking good. Thus, I'm not going to be religious. Exactly. Like, you have to choose. Exactly. exactly. And it's like it's like no, you don't have to choose. They're actually elements of the same. You can still be true as a as a good Jew or a Chassidisha Jew, whichever one you want to put it, however you want to put it, and still live within the world. So you feel that that's part of why you go is because you you feel like that's 
almost a mission of yours to kind of demonstrate that you can be both or that you should be both? Yes. It's like when I see people in the gym, young Jewish guys, I guess you can say now I'm not considered per se young, you know, I'm almost 41. People are like, oh, you're almost 41. I was like, yeah, I'm almost 41. And I see them taking off their yarmulke, you know, to look like the other people. I walk up to them and I'm like, I say to them, I'm like, there are enough of those without a yarmulke who are strong. There aren't enough of us with the yarmulke who look strong. Represent. Mm. That's what I say. And there's like one guy in particular in the gym where I work out now. Very strong kid. He's 18 years old. And I see the struggle. You know, 18, I, I get it. I wasn't the same struggle. He's very strong. He's good looking. He takes off his yarmulke. Sometimes he puts it on. Sometimes he takes it off. Sometimes he puts it on. That's his struggle. And I think that by him seeing another guy who's stronger than him, uh, and I'm not saying that as like showing off. I'm just saying that as somebody done it for longer. That's what I always tell him. I'm like, you're going to surpass me, actually, which he probably will if he continues. If he continues. Um, when you see somebody who's lifting well and still representing being a Jew, you can to some degree on a small element say that that's a shlichus. Mm. Even if I'm not, even if I'm not teaching him a sikha or something, you know what I mean? There's still an element of that. And if there's, if we're living in the, in this world and you have that ability to influence, you should influence. There's there's enough of them out there that are not doing the influencing. Yeah. So there should be more of us who do that. Oh, it's a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful thought. Um, because I, I, I'm also seeing it from the other side. Um, you know, I have a tendency being being someone who makes films and kind of looks at interviews and tries to tie them in together. So sometimes I, I overthink how the interview, one part of it ties into the other. But you know, the, you're talking about there's enough of us, there's enough of those who aren't Jewish or aren't religious who are in the gym doing their thing. But I see it also from the other side. There are enough Lubavitchers who are doing Lubavitch the way, the, the quote-unquote typical way of doing things. And you had the opportunity being the son of a um, Israeli Yemenite Sahal um, veteran who showed you a a example of masculine strength and in his own way kind of hinted to you or or just by his presence just being just being well with the rope that he hung up on the mm -hmm. tree it showed you that there was something to strive for that there was something that you could you could attack something that you could grow into sure you know he 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 set this path for you that most chabad guys didn't have mm. Right. Yeah, and, sure. and and so it's not only that there are enough not religious people or not Jewish people in the gym, there's also there's enough Labavish people who aren't in the gym, right? And then there's you being in the gym and being that Labavitcher who shows that you can do both or that maybe or that at least maybe you could do both. Maybe that's another Or if it's or even taken it does it doesn't have to even be in such a in such a altruistic way or in such a it could be like it's okay to be in the struggle. Mm-hmm. It's it's okay to be struggling and to not necessarily have an answer right away. And you don't have to lose your identity as a Lubavitcher, as a Jewish person, 
as an Orthodox resident connection with God if there if your outlet is towards something else. Like, you know, the famous thing that we used to always say in yeshiva was that not everything mutter you should have, right? Mm. Essentially. And that always to some degree bothers me. That 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 line might might work maybe in the dirt roads of Lubavitch. But we have other kinds of struggles. You know, we have you know, we always talks about Masira Snefesh. We have Masira Saratsun, which is which, which to some degree is even harder than Masira Snefesh. And especially in the society that we live today, there are challenges that maybe those Klasidim they were working those walking those dark those those dirt roads and sitting in 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 in, in shul, being able to daven for hours on end. Maybe they were running away from their family because they didn't have any parnasa. Maybe they wouldn't be able to make it in the challenges that we have today. It's possible to it's possible. I'm not I'm not We don't know. We don't know. My point is is saying is that is that it's okay to have to recognize the struggle mm-hmm. and for others to see that there is an Orthodox Jew doing something that you don't have to not be religious or not represent being what a Jewish person is and not do. You can still be that and still do that. Yeah, I, I think so. I, 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 that resonates very much with me. You know, we started off. We started off tonight by asking a question like, "What does it mean to be Chabad in 2023?" And the answer is, um, it means what people make it to mean, essentially. And you know, every person ultimately is going to, based on their past and based on their upbringing and and their parents and the story of their lives, is going to shape what it means to be Chabad in their own way. And you know, you certainly have laid a path for for yourself and for others, including myself to degree, to see what it means to be um, Chabad and, 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 and very loyal to that identity and loyal to that mission while also being very, very um, dedicated to the to the to the craft and and to the to the effort of 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 lifting and and investing in your strength and investing in your body, uh, you've definitely you've you've definitely pushed it. You've pushed what it means to be chabad in that direction, in that small mm. direction, mm. and that's ultimately what each of us are going to do in some way or another. Yeah, some will do it financially. You know, it was here for the, the businessmen. Some that they can enter to other places that can enter, right? The right. famous, famous, I don't remember who the rabbi was talking to, but it's like you can enter in some places that other people can enter. Right. And each of us have a certain aspect of that. It's just don't, don't, I would say, I would, I would end off, so to speak, by saying don't trick yourself. Don't think that, oh, it's, that's okay. In the sense that, for instance, it's okay to cut your beard. No, it's not okay. Are you doing that? Yes. But it's, don't try to don't try to say ah I'm in I'm in the gym with women who are not dressed properly, it's okay. Like well no it's they're but I'm not trying to tell them how to dress. But don't try to fool yourself and think that oh you're gonna be you know the tzaddik and nothing can ever happen to you. It's like you have to set parameters for yourself. You know don't don't think that oh I'm gonna take off my yarmulke just now. No everything can happen. You have to recognize the difficulties and the troubles but at the same time being true to what you are we're an uncharted look we're an uncharted territory at the end of the day when you do something that 
isn't condoned or isn't familiar to your community's way of life and isn't 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 entirely comfortable or doesn't mesh comfortably with your with your upbringing you're always in uncharted territory and there's always going to be some kind of risk there right we don't know how it's going to end mm. like it, it, we don't know for sure that being in the gym is 100% the right place to be in sure right sure but Absolutely. what you're saying is is that you know you don't see a way where you can't put put in that effort where you can't where you won't no. where you won't go to the gym and you feel like you know, I have to figure out a way. I have no choice but to figure out a way to make these work. And not just to make them work as two parallel universes that have nothing to do with each other, but to make it work as part of my identity and to allow my my investment in my strength and my and my physical side uh, inform and, of course, strengthen my spiritual side. And then on the other hand, to let my spiritual side inform and strengthen my physical side sure yes absolutely following two peas in a pot anyway it was a pleasure talking yeah, to you i hope of course we're going to continue we both uh, dive in the same show but, uh, <laughs> i definitely learned a lot tonight um more than i thought that i would and uh yeah thanks for Thank thanks you. for thanks for yeah. giving us the time and um and god willing this should be a very successful podcast and God willing, you should hit six plates. That's right. Amen. Six plates. That's right. Six plates. Anyway, for all those who don't know what six plates are, it's, it's a heck of a lot of weight. It's 585 pounds. Yeah, but, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, a, you know, like, in a way, like, I, I think, at least, you know, I'm way newer to this than you are. 585 pounds is almost something that's, like, hard to comprehend when you're... <laughs> it's a, a heck of a lot of but, weight. Heck of a lot of weight. Just but they would, of, yeah. yeah. Think about lifting, what is it, a quarter of a car? Yeah, Whatever. just about. Anyway, good luck on good luck okay. on that, and uh, and once you hit that, I'm sure you're gonna have something else you want to hit. That's true. Anyway, thank you very much. You it's it. been a pleasure. The music for this podcast comes from the album Repentance Doors by Oren Sor Nadav Bachar and is used with their permission.